Hello, this is Gordon West, WB6NOA, and you are tuned in to Ham Radio 360 Podcast. MTCRadio.com presents Ham Radio 360, the podcast, with your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. We are rolling. So, you know, I, people give us a hard time for starting our sentences with "so." Yeah, and, and I know, I know, you're not supposed to do that, but in this particular case, well, before we address that, let's explain something. Okay. We we promised we would get this date and episode out today. Today, but it's tomorrow already. It's already tomorrow. It's like twelve fifteen here yeah. in the hotel. We're in Fairborn, <laughs> Ohio, about half an hour northeast of Dayton. Uh, Hair Arena. Kale and I have spent the last two and a half hours. Yeah, at least. Pulling together material. How, how long is this episode going to be? I haven't even finalized it yet. It's, it's pretty long. It's going to be a long episode. We got a lot of interviews in today. And what's sad is I feel like we could have done more. But, you know, the booth. The booth. Wait a minute. First of all, Kale... You're in yeah. Dayton. I'm in Dayton, Ohio, folks. Yeah. If, if I sound like I'm tired, I am. I got up at 3 o'clock, 3.30 this morning. I left the house to go to the airport. Had two wonderful flights on Delta. And um, I, I got into town, into Dayton, Ohio, about 10 o'clock. And as I came out of the, the airport, I had carry-on bags, two bags, so I didn't have to wait on baggage. I came out to get the rental car, and I just kind of stopped in the middle of the road, and it hit me that that I'm in Dayton, Ohio. You're in Ohio. I've no. never been to Ohio. Well, I live here. And Welcome. I'm, yeah, thank you. And and I'm here for Hamvention. And you're here because of you. I'm here because of our awesome audience. I mean, you, the listener, you, not you, yes. Kale, you. Yeah, well, you were looking at me. I'm well, sorry. Yeah, well, I, I can look at them. It's late, guys. It's very late. I'll look. I'll look at the TV. And here's here's what we're going to do. We, Je- uh, yesterday, Jeremy and George were here. That would be Thursday. Uh, well, it's already Saturday. But anyway, on Thursday, they were here for pre-setup. They got some interviews then, and they also got some interviews on Friday. Uh, I didn't really leave the booth at all on Friday. No, just uh, literally almost at the end of the day to go yeah. meet uh, our friends at Maine Trading Company. Yep, and caught up with uh, K5TUX from Linson Hemshack Podcast. He came by. Uh, amateur logic tv guys came by yep we got got over to see the uh, our friends from Bridgecom systems but by and large i was doing exactly what i i it was a, i guess it's predetermined because i had been saying for months that you, if, you've been if, saying you weren't leaving the i wasn't leaving the booth you were it, there for the listeners yes and that's what we did and to you to those of you that came out and, and said hello and encouraged us thank you so much that was awesome for those of you who haven't been to dayton this year and won't make it um the sentiment i hope it's the same everywhere because if that's the case we have we we've known we have awesome listeners but what they uh what they what i experienced today was one of the most humbling experiences of my 42 years of existence i did not anticipate people knowing us the way they did and i i think um you know we talked to gerald earlier yeah and you know he was asking did you get to get out and look at anything and Kale literally didn't I because didn't. there was no more than a maybe a, a single ten minute break when there yeah. wasn't somebody coming by the booth saying, "Hey, we love the podcast. Thank you." 
And that's awesome. And, you know, when you create a product and people like it, that really makes you smile. So thanks to everyone that came out. I'm having a great time. Uh, John Pugliano in 7PUG was there with us today. Oh, he was incredible. He, he was, was awesome. a huge help. He was so, such a helper. We had to pat him on the head. You know, another thing that was cool for the folks that, that helped get you here that had their shirts, there was, oh, a, yeah. there was a period where there were like seven or eight of us standing yeah. around all wearing the official Ham Radio 360 shirt. We, we were totally geeking out. We really were. So, But, you know, people don't want to hear us ramble in the middle of the night. So, Well, there's, there's, there's one thing people okay. want to hear, hear at least me ramble about. Okay. What is that? So, obviously, people know about the KX2 announcement. They heard yep. that episode. We, we got the exclusive on that, talked about it in depth. Um, but the other thing, the, the prevailing rumor coming into Dayton was what was Kenwood mm, going to be doing yep. this year? And yep. I'm holding in my hand. I, I tweeted this. So, if you go find me at KF7IJZ, um, I tweeted a picture of the radio as well as the brochure. Kenwood has tentatively announced... And I say that because the brochure literally has the word tentative in it, the upper right-hand right corner. It does say that, yes. This radio looks like it, it's a combination of the TH6 in the sense that it has a wideband HF receiver capable of sideband decoding. Yep. It's tri-band, mm-hmm. so 2 meters, 220, 440. And it has APRS, which makes it a D72. And... According to this brochure, and I'm quoting now, compliant with voice, digital mode, D-Star Digital Amateur Radio Networks. There you go, folks. The rumors have all been true, tentatively. Tentatively. And the reason I'm telling you about this and not letting somebody from Kenwood is that we, we approached Kenwood literally at the opening of the show this morning. Uh, I, was at, I was at the booth right at 9 o'clock when the public was let in. Um, and I asked uh, the, 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 the gentleman in charge of the Kenwood booth, and they said that if we wanted to talk to him, we would have had to prearrange it because they can't say anything about this radio that's not on the brochure I'm holding. Yeah. And it's not really a brochure. It's a, it's a one It's, it's a flyer. It's a, it's a one, one sheeter. Sheet. Yeah. So just, you know, for those who haven't seen, I'll read real quickly. Built-in high-performance GPS unit, trans-reflective color TFT display. It actually is fairly reminiscent of... I mean, the bright, vibrant colors, and I, I will tell you in person, it is every bit as bright as, as in this picture. This isn't doctored. It's um, it's a very nice display that kind of reminds me of the, the Yaesu uh, FTM 400 mobile. It's very bright and colorful. Weatherproof toughness to IPS4 slash 55 standards. Wideband and multi-mode reception. Equipped with IF filter for comfortable reception. Sideband and CW. Now, this is a huge differentiator because the TH6 did not have any type of filtering that I'm aware of at all. Right. So I almost wonder if there's if this is basically a giant DSP FPGA software-defined radio. Could very well be. Um, what else? High-performance DSP-based voice processing. Com- oh, I didn't notice this. Compliant with Bluetooth, microSD, and microUSB. Swing. What this means is, you know, setting DMR and setting Fusion aside, I'm going to call this the Mega HT. Yeah. Because they pretty much put everything in there. Except those two. Except for DMR and Fusion, which, that's fine. Uh, it's it's cool that Kenwood has chosen a side. Uh, I'm, I'm pro D-Star. George is pro D-Star. I'm becoming that way. Yeah. Um, Kale's becoming that way. But, I mean, this this is incredible. I, I yeah. 
and it, it, I posted a picture. Beautiful radio, good size. Mm. Um, you know, if I, I compare it to the seventy two, I didn't get to touch it, but I hope that it's um, a higher quality plastic. A little bit. The seventy two felt a little fragile. This looks like it is. It does. It really does. The buttons definitely look like they're like weather sealed and whatnot. Of course, everybody wants to know when's it coming out, what's it cost, and again, that information is not on there. Not on there. So that information is even more tentative than tentative. Yeah. So, folks, we have a a long show, uh, and you can find the picture of that brochure in the show notes of this this podcast episode. This is our day one update, and uh, we're going to post this up. We're going to go to bed, get up real early tomorrow morning. Yep. And we're going to go do it again. We're going to be back at uh, Hera tomorrow about 0700. Yeah. We've got a lot of other people to talk to. Um, we've gotten several requests on Twitter today. People want to know about the APRS. Excellent. I need to know about APRS. So we're, we're going to be hitting up a lot more vendors. Continue to follow us on Twitter throughout the day. Hashtag uh, Hotel Victor Live. Or so, Hotel Victor 2016 Live. Yep. Uh, for everybody's updates. And, uh, again, for those who came out to the booth and those listening now and those who have supported us, who, those who have been with us from the beginning, those who have been with us for five minutes, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Howdy, folks. Jeremy, KF7IJZ from the Ham Radio 360 podcast, standing here with George, KJ6VU. George, what do you think? I think Dayton's going to be really hot this year. There's some really exciting new radios. There's new SDR radios. There's new portable QRP rigs. It looks really interesting. I'll tell you what, we're here on setup day on Thursday, and it has been amazing to have this kind of all-access backstage pass to Dayton getting set up around us. And it's really fun to see some of the products up close, because tomorrow, you know what happens, this place is going to be a zoo, so getting a chance to get a preview today has been great. And I think both you and I have been fortunate. We've already taken uh, advantage of being able to do a little bit of early shopping. What'd you pick up? I bought a KX2. What else did you pick up? Well, I bought an ID51 from MTC because they're such a good deal. But the KX2. The KX2. Well, actually, I'm picking it up tomorrow. So there's only 50 here at the show. And so I'm going to be first in line to pick mine up tomorrow. Now, that's new for Ellacraft because they never bring stuff. They have hats and buttons. Yeah, normally they have a new radio pre-announced, they talk about it, and then ship a few months later. This is the first time they've come to Dayton with radios in hand, ready to sell. So my first purchase was an AirSpy Mini, which is also kind of a rare product. AirSpy.us is here. They have, I think he told me they brought about 40 of them, which is good because they're sold out and out of stock and backordered everywhere else. So how does that compare to the other SDRs? Um, it's probably, I would say, your best value in a receiver. 99 bucks, 6 megahertz of bandwidth, 12-bit uh, um, analog to digital converter, um, pretty low noise. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. And the frequency range? 24 to 1.8 gigahertz. And I also picked up the Spyverter, which will basically give me DC to 1.8 gigahertz. That's a transverter. That's, that sounds great. I, I bet there's other SDR stuff to check out here at the show. That SDR is really hot this year. It is. It's like last year. A lot of the same companies were here, but we just walked by the ELAD booth. We're going to try to get them on mic. Um, who else have we seen? Well, ICOM is here, of course, with the 7300. Well, and the Ellicraft radios are basically SDRs with a conventional front panel. Now, I know you were at FDIM this morning, and you were there for the keynote announcement of the KX2. Is the KX2 still a direct sampling architecture? It uses a DSP, so it, it is essentially an SDR architecture. They do bring the signal chain down to INQ, and then they do DSP on the INQ 
um, and then take it from there. So all the processing is done post-IQ. But I did notice that there is no IQ output option on that radio. Yeah, I think that's correct. So I'm, I'm not sure if there's, uh, I don't believe there's connections for the PX3. No, in fact, the brochure specifically called out when comparing the two radios that it is not an option, which is interesting, but it's still such a good value. Well, frankly, the whole point of the KX2 is ultra portability, something you're going to take on the trail, something that you're going to be able to throw into your pocket, and you're really not going to want to take a a PX3 along with you in addition to this very tiny radio anyway. Yeah, and pocket size, that, that's not an exaggeration. No, it's, it's pocket size. In fact, if you've ever seen the KX1, which is about the size of a 3x5 card and about an inch thick, that's about the same size as the KX2. All right. It, it seems uh, kind of ridiculous that Dayton hasn't even officially started and we already have all this excitement. We're already spending money. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's go check out the MTC booth. All right, let's go. All right, we're standing here with Richard from Main Trading Company. I got to be honest with you. I listened to you talk about your trailer and being overloaded. This is not a trailer. This is a mobile storefront. <laughs> hey, it, it does look like it. Um, the girls are still mad at me because we brought so much stuff. We've worked for two days trying to get it all set up and get it out. We're not going to make it. We've got we've got boxes and boxes of new and used radios that will not even see Dayton because we can't set them up. We have no place to put them. You're not kidding. I mean, this is uh, this is insane. You brought an entire portable ham radio store. The only thing you're missing, like I said earlier, is a funnel cake and a corn dog stand. We'll do that next year. That's that should not be a problem. All right. So, what are you excited about this weekend? What do, What do you think is going to be your best seller? The, my biggest seller, I think, is going to be the 7300 Icom. I mean, just since we've been here setting up today, I mean, we've sold several today. Um, and we haven't even had the price up or anything. And, um, I mean, that's going to be probably the biggest seller. The next thing is going to be my little tri-band Wuxin radio or Oshin. You know, depends on what part of the country you're in. But it's uh, Wuxin in Texas. Now, did you find out if that has the cross-band repeater in it? No, sir, I have not. You want to take one home and, and try it tonight? Might try to do that. Okay, all right. Okay, no problem. So how long do you think it's going to take you to sell out of radios this time? I don't know, man, but I hope we I hope we really do. Um, I hope we sell a bunch of radios. I, we've never sold out um, at any show. Um, we've sold out of certain models or such, but we've never sold out. I, I hope we do. That would be awesome. Well, I know it's unfortunate you guys weren't able to be inside like you were last year, but honestly, every single person that wants to get into the main arena is going to be on that ramp you know, 100 feet away from here. And as soon as you come down that ramp, it's it's a lot of Texan pride and a lot of main trading company. Hey, and if you're looking for a radio, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in the arena, the manufacturers and all that. But if you're if you're wanting to save some money or if you have a trade or if, if you just need a little help of some kind getting your rig, don't even bother fooling with those big, bad chain stores in there. Just step out here. We're mom and pop. Christy and I both are here. Um, Tammy, Danielle, Gene, we're all just local to Texas, you know, folks anyway. And we'll help you. I mean, we'll make it work. Now, did you guys bring any honey? Uh, We didn't bring honey. We didn't bring postage stamps. Man, there's just not room. We couldn't bring everything. We still have stuff on pallets and on stands and everything that we were going to bring. But we we could not fit another box in that trailer. And that is 32 feet of ham radio love right there, baby. We have it. I mean, it's it's we're loaded. It is a huge, huge trailer. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And we're going to have fun, man. I mean, I'm telling you, 
We've got DMR radios. We've got the Baofangs, the 8Ds, 8E tri-bands. We've brought used equipment. What else have we got here? 7,300 stacked up, repacks, remanufactured and refurbs, and gospel music right out here, man. I mean, we've got it. We've got it. So, yeah, step out the back door of the arena, look for the Texas flags. We will hook you up. In case you don't know what a Texas flag looks like, that's the one that's red, white, and blue with the big star. Yeah, it's a, the big lone star, yes, Texas flag. It, Google it. I mean, it's, yeah, Texas, 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 man. All right, well, we're going to check back in with you throughout the weekend, see how things are going, and uh, I'm going to stop recording and help you get rid of one radio right now. All right, let's do it. Let's ride it up, man. We're here with Ulrich N2 Delta Echo at the Begali Key Booth at Dayton. And I wanted to stop by and talk to Ulrich about the history of the Begali company and a bit about their high-quality CW keys. So, Ulrich, thank you very much for spending the time with us. Thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity here to plug Begali keys. Um, Begali is uh, a northern Italian manufacturing, small manufacturing company that has been making electromechanical components since uh, the early 1950s. And only later, about uh, 15 years ago, did Piero, Piero Begali, <clears throat> venture into making ham radio Morse keys. Piero himself is an accomplished CW operator, and uh, he, in essence, wanted to make a key for himself. Um, I discovered one of his early keys, it was called the Simplex Key, still is a Simplex Key, uh, in some ad, I believe in QST, no, it wasn't even QST, well, some, some obscure place, I bought it, and it turned out a so-so key, I wasn't thrilled, but it was inexpensive, it looked beautiful, and uh, I contacted Piero, and said, um, I bought your key. I'm uh, kind of thrilled, but not uh, 100%. Would you like to know how to build a real key? And to my astonishment, he said, yes, let's collaborate. And that's how this started. So uh, most of the Begali keys today are a collaboration between Piero and myself. And uh, meanwhile, the key family has grown to amazing proportions here. We have, if you count different finishes, uh, well over 50 different kinds of keys. And they range from, let's say, $150 to close to $1,000. So uh, it is quite a range of keys that we offer. And um, when we started out, our initial consideration was well we want to buy to build the uh, the best morse key that money can buy and that piero is able to manufacture oh that as an aside when i found out that he has been making um parts for industrial knitting machines in other words devices that have rapidly vibrating electromechanical components and contacts I thought this is my guy here he has the machinery and uh, he has the uh, experience with electromechanical stuff so anyway when we set out to make um, keys 
Well, of course, the goal was to produce the best possible key, regardless of money initially. And then an additional consideration came in, of course. Well, if, if you build the best possible key, how many does a person possibly need? And the answer is one. So your market is fairly limited. And uh, we decided early on, right away in essence, we also build the most beautiful keys in the world. So gold plating, palladium plating, exquisite materials, and um, very nicely designed, you know, forms and shapes that only Italians can dream up. And uh, so we wanted to make them so beautiful that people buy them for their beauty and not only for their technical capabilities. And uh, today it's, it's not unusual that Bigali customers who stop by, by at our booth here already own five or six Bigali keys and they stop by to find out, you know, what's new, what's new, I want to buy the next one. And obviously not because they urgently need another key, because they know it is beautiful. So we consider them, I consider them, uh, very beautiful industrial sculptures with, uh, you know, with a twist. Yes, they can be used to create Morse code, but they are beautiful to look at. And actually we have quite a few customers who are honest enough to say that they don't know did about CW and have no intention of ever learning it, but they love to look at these things. Okay, and that is, of course, the ideal customer. We can sell them as many keys as we like. Uh, a later addition, and that was, uh, well, the, I, I developed and invented it, is a keyer that goes with these things. It's called the CW machine. And uh, I initially developed it myself because I travel a lot, and I have a lot of strange call signs. I'm, for instance... Uh, a25 US in Botswana or A35 US in the Kingdom of Tonga or 3DA0 US in the Kingdom of Swaziland or 7P8 US in the Kingdom of Lesotho. So when I show up on the air with my KX3 and the specially developed adventure key which I wanted for my KX3 to have Bigali quality at my fingertips even in the bush um, when I show up, there's usually a pileup, and um, it would be very hard to do the logging if, you know, 50 people are piling up and trying to contact you. So I developed the CW machine, which is a very advanced skier with the special capability that it log automatically logs your QSOs. So it picks out the call sign, of course, the date and time and uh, band and name and QTH of the other guy and then creates log records that you can upload to Logbook of the World. So I developed it for myself, and then I was asked, well, couldn't you create an additional package for the CW machine that helps budding CW operators get into CW and, you know, improve their speed? So the additional package, the CW Trainer, was born, which is very popular. Many people learn CW using the CW Trainer, and it's not only folks who just get started in CW, 
but also people who are struggling with how do I get from 60 words per minute to 70 words per minute. So it is a device that covers the full spectrum of humanly possible speeds and uh, with corresponding training exercises. And once you're done training, you can, uh, you can load the, uh, the keyer firmware and uh, have the most advanced memory keyer. And the trainer, of course, I don't need all that much training anymore. But when I drive from home in New York to Dayton, which is uh, a horrible 11-hour drive, uh, I load the Sunday edition of the New York Times into the CW trainer. It holds that much. If you're talking a decent clip, let's say like 40 words per minute, um, it will hold more than 50 hours of non-stop text. So it has enough room, this little device, you know, about the, the size of uh, two packs of cigarettes, uh, has enough memory to uh, hold the whole Sunday edition of the New York Times. So I copy and paste it into that and... During my 11-hour drive, I listen to the New York Times and Morse code. So those who are looking at buying their first paddle or their first CW key of any kind, and they look around and you see the Begali keys are beautiful, as you were saying, they're really little works of art. Is that something that a new ham could really appreciate, or is that something that's really for the very experienced operator who can really send it a high speed? Well, the appreciation of art has little to do with uh, affinity to Morse code, and uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, many ham radio operators are probably not art aficionados, but um, no, um, you can certainly see and feel the quality and my advice for for buying a key I'm often asked you know what is the key that you recommend for beginners and um, my answer invariably is buy the best key that you can afford even if it's you know it far exceeds the uh, capabilities that you currently would need the reason for this is not that I'm greedy, it is a, a key that is not of highest quality, like all of the Bigali keys, has mechanical deficiencies, and when you start using such a key, you learn hand movements to compensate these mechanical deficiencies. And then when you grow up and say, okay, now I'm going to buy myself a Bigali here, it is awfully difficult to unlearn the hand movements and muscle reflexes that you have acquired using an inferior key. Though, So the answer always is, if you're reasonably sure that you want to stay with CW, by all means, buy the, the best key that you can afford. And uh, it will be with you for a long time. It does not make sense to start with a cheap key. So when I look at all the Begali keys, besides different styles and different finishes, I notice that there's different kinds of keys. Some keys have two paddles, some keys have one paddle. There's a lot of terminology that a lot of people don't understand. What is a, a bug or a paddle or a sideswiper and, and on and on. Could you demystify a little bit of that terminology for us? Of course. 
the most the most common key these days is a dual lever key. In other words, it has two paddles which move independently and you can use a technique which I would recommend to all beginners to start with, uh, which is, you know, uh, commonly called squeeze mode. It's a very economical way, economical in terms of hand and finger movements, way to create um, Morse characters. Then you have single lever paddles. In other words, there's a single paddle and which moves left and right, and that is how you create dits and daws. Uh, it is typically used by either very high-speed operators, but not because it's inherently a faster key. It is because very high-speed operators usually have been in Morse, been dealing with Morse code for a long time. And uh, they didn't have decent dual-lever paddles in those days. So we use single-lever paddles and then claim that they are much easier to control, which is, of course, utter nonsense. Um, but, uh, okay, is they, they are good keys and uh, are, you know, the second most common device. Then, of course, there are conventional keys from the old days, which do not require an electronic keyer. Both the dual lever and the single lever <coughs> require an electronic keyer to work. Uh, then there are purely mechanical keys, like a straight key, like you see it in all the movies, you know, the Titanic going down with a straight key and the Marconi folks sending SOS. And uh, later on developed, around the turn of the century, a semi-automatic bug, which was invented by a call guy named Horace... Boy, what was his name? I don't know. Anyway, the brand was uh, Vibroplex, still around today, and uh, it creates the dits automatically. There's a mechanical pendulum which vibrates for the dits, and the DAWs you have to make manually. So uh, that uh, causes a lot less strain on the operator's wrist, and they were and are very popular especially with old-timers. They're nice collection pieces. Bigali also has, uh, has a, a mechanical bug uh, called, fittingly, the Intrepid, because it was not an easy decision to build such a complicated device. There were much more complicated uh, bugs around later on. Uh, the most famous one uh, invented by a guy named... Mel Hansen, I believe in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, automatically created dits and daws. And it was around in the early 50s. was a horrible key. Very few were sold, but spectacular to look at. Uh, it never quite worked because of the mechanical complications. And uh, the advent of electronic gears then completely killed it off which is very nice for collectors because it fetches astronomical prices. If you ever see one on eBay, the Melahan Valiant, and you can get it for less than $15,000, go for it. That would be a steal. So next time I look for a very expensive key, I'll be on the lookout. Could you, could you describe the most 
exotic key that you've ever seen come out of Bagali? Well, there are no really exotic keys, yes. We build nice keys using different mechanisms. Practically all of them use magnets for the return force. We have one key which is very sensitive, hard to ship, uh, called the Stradivarius. It does not use springs or magnets, but it uses a very, very thin torsion bar. And yes, the most exotic one, without any doubt, is the intrepid mechanical bug, which uses a very novel and highly complicated design. It has eight adjustment screws to really tweak it to, uh, to a user's individual preferences. But um, all of the keys are, uh, are unique in their own way. So when you look at the customers that are buying your keys today, if someone was going to come in and buy their first really nice key, they were willing to spend the money for something good but not go crazy. And I know it's really asking the question, what kind of art do you like? So there's many to choose from. But is there one key in particular that you see is very popular that most people will tend to gravitate towards? Well, amazingly, one of our more expensive keys. It's called the Sculpture. It's made in stainless steel. It has carbon fiber finger pieces and it is uh, one of the most outstanding keys ever developed. I, I personally have far more than a hundred keys and paddles but on my desk you will invariably find the Sculpture key. So it's a very, very good key. It's not inexpensive. It costs... Uh, well north of $400 and uh, people buy that it is amazingly it's one of our best selling keys of course the lower priced keys which costs uh, start at around uh, $200 $250 go quite well and there's even an entry model with springs for the return force which is around $150 so Bigali covers the full spectrum and um the most expensive key we ever had was uh, something called the Graziella Limited Edition. And uh, yes, there is a particular story and twist behind that. Uh, we were here in Dayton and the Graziella Limited Edition, only 30 of those were made. And I have a special deal with Piero. I get to have uh, serial number 001 of each and every key. And uh, we were here in Dayton, and uh, the Graziella was on display, one of 30. And there comes a gentleman in full desert garb with a turban and his secretary three steps behind them, carrying the wallet with the cash, because uh, he didn't want to touch the cash. And he looked at the keys and said, here's the Graziella. I want serial number one of this. Now, this was an expensive key. It was $980. I want serial number one of this. And Piero says, well, you know, serial number one is reserved for Ulrich. You can have any other serial number, but uh, serial number one is Ulrich's. Guy says, nope, I want serial number one, and I offer you $5,000. And I looked at Piero and said, go for it. I'll get serial number 000 on that one. Okay, so 
serial number one of the Graziella is uh, doing uh, faithful duty somewhere in the Near East. Well, that's an awesome story. So, Ulrich, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, last year I came by, we had a chance to chat. You educated me quite a bit about the different keys, and the Begali keys are really gorgeous, and they feel fantastic. So even if you're not a great CW operator yet, they really do feel good, and they're just a delight to use. And so I really appreciate all the time and uh, helping to educate myself and our listeners. So thanks very much, and I hope you guys have a great Dayton. Thank you so much. I'm standing in the ICOM booth. We are approximately T-minus 30 minutes from show opening, and I'm standing here with Will Jourdain, AA4WJ with ICOM. Will, how are you doing? Doing really well this morning. How about you? I'm doing great. I am excited. Uh, We were here yesterday during setup. There's a lot of exciting things going on, a lot of new products out. And uh, first of all, if you would tell us what you do with ICOM. I am a sales rep for our amateur radio product. So I uh, travel around the country show to show, uh, setting up and showing off our products. I also work closely with our uh, dealer network, uh, those those folks who are in charge of getting our products out on the streets and in the hands of our users. And I know earlier this year you met George at Baycon. That's right, I did. And I hear you brought quite a nice setup. They were really impressed with how much you guys were supporting them for such a relatively small show. Well, it's a, it's a great group of guys out there, and so I was very excited to get to go out there to the Bay Area uh, and set up and, and, and for them to give me the opportunity to, to show off some of our D-Star equipment. Was, it, was a, it was a great time and a great event they, they hosted out there. So this year, the exciting thing that's going on is the, the IC7300. I want to congratulate you as being one of the first large manufacturers to actually come to market with an SDR-based architecture, full 100-watt radio. And honestly, I was a little skeptical at first because it's a first-generation product. When I saw you guys made number 12 on the Sherwood list with your first outing at $1,500, that is incredible. Well, thank you. We, we've been very, very pleased with the radio so far. We had high expectations and high hopes for it. Uh, and it's surpassed all of those hopes and expectations so far. So we're, we're very pleased with it. We're excited to have them here at Dayton uh, to show off. We've got several of them. We've got, I think, three different units here in the booth, in our main ICOM booth here. So uh, anybody who's up here in the Dayton area, we encourage you to swing by. We've got them here. Come play with them. Push the buttons, spin the knobs, and, and have a good time. So one of the things that I've noticed, especially with the, the early buyers of the radio, is that you guys have already issued firmware updates, and the radio hasn't been out that long. That's not something that we're really used to seeing from the big manufacturers. I mean, it really looks like you guys are on top of supporting this thing. That's something that's very important to us. It's a, it's a new product, and it's a different type of product than anything we've ever done before. So it's very important to us to be able to push out firmware updates and make sure that the radio is operating to its fullest capability. So as we discover things... Uh, you know, as it's, 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 you know, becoming more spread in the hands of, uh, you know, our end users, uh, things come to light, and our team of engineers uh, are, are on top of it. Uh, they, they listen to our feedback, they listen to the feedback of our customers, uh, and we like to make sure that we uh, get those updates pushed out as rapidly as possible, always for free, uh, to, to make sure the radio's in tip-top shape. So, I'm going to ask, and you probably can't answer, but is there any chance of there being PSK31 decoding coming? Not that I, not that I'm aware of, no, or not that you can comment on. <laughs> so, what else do you guys have at Dayton this year? Are you guys announcing any new products? Uh, we don't have any new ham products that we're announcing this year. We do have some of our new uh, Land Mobile products, our next gen uh, Land Mobile, some of our uh, next gen uh, LMR radios. We have a, a separate booth here at Dayton for uh, our D Star products, as well as some of our 
uh, land mobile and uh, marine and aviation products. So we have some new stuff over there. But uh, as far as amateurs concerned, the uh, the 7300 is still the bell of the ball. Yes, it is. And so speaking of D-Star, how, how is D-Star doing these days? D-Star is doing great. Uh, we've seen uh, we, we, we've had D-Star out and about, you know, in the hands of, of folks for about a decade now, about 10 years. Uh, and we've seen uh, continuous growth. It was, it was rapid at first, but we've still seen good steady growth over the past uh, two to three years. Uh, licensing is, uh, you know, uh, registration is continuing to rise. Uh, sales are still strong. Uh, D-Star is doing great. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for bringing the 7300 to market. I actually bought one yesterday. I I haven't even opened the box, but I can't wait to get home and play with it. And thanks for your time. Thank you. And uh, enjoy that 7300. I will. Thanks. So we're in the BHI booth at Dayton, and I'm speaking with Graham, Mike 3, Zulu Golf Sierra. And Graham is the owner of BHI that make noise-canceling equipment. So good afternoon, Graham. Oh, good afternoon. Yeah, it's really nice to meet you. I've seen your products on YouTube, and they were very impressive, and I thought it'd be great to stop by, learn a bit about your company and your products, and we'll do a little bit of a demonstration. So tell us, what does BHI do? BHI, we design and manufacture a range of digital signal processing noise cancellation products, DSP for short, um, and mainly aimed at the amateur radio market. Um, They use unique digital signal processing technology that actually can pick out the speech signals from um, the noise, um, different to a lot of other technologies. We can actually determine if the signal is speech or if it's noise. Um, based on some clever sort of software algorithms, we can separate out those signals and the speech passes through. And then, in a nutshell, the filter levels can be adjusted to let a lot of noise or less noise through, depending on the quality of the signal. So when I look at a new radio, I see noise blanker, I see noise reduction buttons. So I assume that a modern radio has that kind of technology built into it. So is what you do the same thing or is this different? Um, It's different. Um, Some of the radio manufacturers have employed someone to write some code or got some off-the-shelf code that sort of does work at noise cancelling. Ours is bespoke DSP noise counting specifically aimed at speech. So we don't do anything with the signal. It's across the whole audio bandwidth, sort of 50 hertz to about 4.5K. So we're not doing any bandpass filtering. We're not you know, chopping bits out. It's purely on the speech. So I guess the difference is the quality of the processed speech on our products, uh, we would like to say, is better than you would get um, in a lot of uh, common radios. And is this useful for... CW and other modes besides voice, or is it primarily targeted for voice? Uh, primarily targeted at voice. Uh, having said that, uh, a lot of reviews, and uh, if you talk to the renowned reviewer Gordon West, he will tell you that um, it does work very well on CW. Being really honest, if you are a sole CW user, then you may not like what the DSP does to the tones. But if you do a bit of both, then yes, it's very effective on CW. So I look at all the products that you have here in the booth, and I'm, I'm first of all, I'm very impressed by the range of product. And I see there are speakers, there's boxes that apparently go in line, there's boards that appear to go into radios. Tell us a bit about the range of products. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, we've basically developed products on the lines of what customers have wanted. So if you go back to 2002, when we first started, we had a DSP noise-canceling speaker, 
and that was it. And then, you know, a few customers down the line, the customer said, oh, I've got a speaker. I don't want a speaker. I want to use it in line. So we designed an in-line unit. And then another customer would say, uh, I don't want it in line. I don't want a speaker, but I want to put it in my radio. So we've sort of taken on board a lot of what customers have fed back and just developed the products you know, uh, 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 you know, um, for the customers. One thing we do do with every uh, every product is we put a feedback card inside, and we do get a number back from customers telling us the good and bad, uh, and that helps us develop the right products in the future. So let's take a look at some of the models here. Could you describe uh, a couple of the most popular units that ham radio operators would probably buy? Um, the most common one, I guess, historically, is a thing called the, uh, the NES-102 Mark III. Um, that's a small 2.5-watt DSP noise-cancelling speaker. In the US, it's branded also by Gap Antenna Products, who came and joined us early on as helping us sell, and that was called the Hear It speaker. So there is a range of uh, BHI products sold under the Hear It brand by Gap. Plus, there's um, uh, our own BHI brand sold in the USA. The um, other more popular product is the inline unit, which you can um, connect the, the radio to or the receiver and use your own extension speaker. And that's the uh, what we call the NEIM 1031 Mark II or the Gap here at Inline. Um, they're probably two most popular units. Um, we've got a couple of new units we brought out with some newer technology based around the same algorithm and they do dual channel stereo. So where some of the more modern receivers and transceivers have got uh, stereo output, you can actually split the VFOs or listen to two receivers and have noise cancelling on both channels. So um, it's a bit of a niche but it, it's a new feature. I also see that there are some circuit board products that could be installed inside radios. In fact, the way I first learned about BHI was looking for ways to reduce the noise floor in an FT817, which led me to your products, and the videos I saw were very impressive. So are those products also still available? Yeah, the, those products are very much available. In fact, the, um, the little NEDSP1061 KBD module, we probably sold over two or 3,000 of those for installation. Eight ones, the FT817's the most popular, but um, as time's gone on, various amateurs have said, will it fit in my TS50? So they've done the install and given us the instructions, and we've added it. And even in various receivers, you know, um, uh, I can't, uh, the AOR receivers, the, the module's been fitted. Um, uh, we've even been asked recently if we can get it inside the KX3. So, you know, it, there's always, you know, new ways to do it. And because it's a simple install, because basically it fits in the front of the volume control, there's almost usually just one decoupling capacitor to come out and the module's fitted and then the voltage and, and you're off. So the install's relatively easy if you know what you're doing. So when I first looked at these units, I was thinking about them for older radios, like the 817 or the 857, where the receivers seem a bit noisier than modern radios. You mentioned the KX3. So even with a radio like that, you would see a difference? Well, yeah, I mean, people told us that we wouldn't, it wouldn't be needed, but um, we have quite a few KX3 and K3 users that have got our products because they still have a noise problem. So, uh, it, you know, it's still, still relevant for some of the newer radios, even though it's been fitted into some of the old radios like a Drake, you know, um, where there isn't any DSP. So, Okay, let's take a look at the units and see how they perform. Because we have really hot weather there. 
last week. Now, anyway, so, uh, so uh, it is very useful, of course, uh, to speak foreign language, although I only speak as a foreign language, I speak English. I've been teaching English now for about 29 years, and uh, I've been practicing my English, of course. Uh. So that was really impressive. That's, that's incredible. So describe what those two different audio clips were. The first audio clip was the, the raw signal, uh, on a, I think it was on HF that we, we had there, and we just pressed the noise cancelling in, um, and you know the noise went away. In the first instance, there's up to about a second um, where the DSP kicks in, and then real time after that. Um, you can change the filter levels to suit your own situation, but generally that's the effect you get when you kick the noise cancelling in, less stress and, and clear speech. Well, Graham, thank you so much for spending the time. You have some really exciting products, so thanks very much and have a great day. You're welcome, and thank you for coming to, to see us. I am standing across from the Ellicraft booth at the Pro Audio Engineering booth. For those of you who follow me on YouTube, you know that Gerald and I did a video comparing this against the stock heat sink. In the dead of summer, trapped in a plywood garage, the ambient temperature was like 86 degrees. We literally just shorted out the CW connection and just let the radio run until it shut down. Standing here with the founder of Pro Audio Engineering, Howard Hoyt, WA4PSC. Howard, what do you think of Dayton this year? So far, so good. It's Friday, and the crowds are good, and people are nice and friendly, and uh, fortunately, it's not too hot, so they haven't gotten ugly yet. Or stinky. Those are two things you definitely have to worry about. The good news is it's going to be cool this weekend. So what did you bring to Dayton to sell this year? Well, in response to two factors, uh, Ellicraft providing a new version of firmware for the KX3, which allows full 15 watts output instead of only the 10 to 12. Uh, as well as the JT contesters demanding more heatsink, we have a new model KX32 heatsink, which uh, will allow the rig to run 15 watts with almost all conditions without any overheating whatsoever. And it also has an optional fan accessory, which will allow you to run full 15 watts doing JT mode contesting uh, in the dead of summer. So I'm assuming that fan is a 12-volt fan? It is, and it'll come with a splitter, so you just run it in line with your rig. Outstanding. And what other accessories do you guys sell? Because I remember when you started, it was the heat sink and a power supply, but your table is covered in stuff. Well, we're also carrying a full, full line of adapters to adapt the power supply to the FT817, Flex 1500, and a lot of other popular equipment, as well as power pole adapters. I actually run my K3 in 10-watt uh, mode from our power supply. And we're also a full Mix 31. Uh, carry, we carry the Ferrite Mix 31 line. And we've got real good pricing on that. Outstanding. And for the new heat sink for the KX3, what's the price on that? The show price or the online price? <laughs> Either or. I mean, because the show price obviously will only be valid while we're here. What, what's it go for normally? Okay. Well, the, the new heat sink will go for 96 as opposed to the, excuse me, 99 as opposed to the 89 for the older one. And, of course, we're running a show special for $90. So you save $17 if you include the shipping. And how much uh, for the fan? It's not established yet, but it'll be between $80 and $100. All right, and if our listeners want to know more about you, where do they find you on the web? They would go to www.proaudioeng.com. All right, Howard, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy Dayton. Thank you. You too. 
I'm here with Gordon West, WB6NOA. We are here at Dayton 2016. This is going to be quite the ham fest, of course, the largest one in the United States. And uh, we've got our brand new extra class book. We're working with Carol Perry, WB2MGP, who's doing a youth forum as well as an instructor's forum. So we're really making a campaign to not only upgrade, but to attract new hams, especially ladies and kids, into our hobby. Oh, that's really great. Have you seen an uptick in more YLs and more kids getting in? Uh, yes, we are. In fact, many of her seminars are filled with YLs and kids, and this is great news. And uh, the technician class test is not a tough one. We've got the book for that, and we're getting more and more kids and YLs on the air. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Gordon, it's great to see you, and have a great Dayton. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks so much, and best success with this podcast. Gordo, WB6NOA, from Dayton, Ohio, 2016. I am sitting here with Alex Grimberg, PY1, Alpha Hotel Delta, arguably one of the fathers of popularizing portable magnetic loop antennas with the release of the Alex Loop several years ago. Alex, how are you doing? Oh, well, I'm very well. It's the, I think it's the ninth time that I come here to Dayton Hamvention. And it's a great pleasure to find out here many people that uh, are Alex Soup antenna user that, that knows me. And a very interesting thing to know, to talk about the Alex Loop, is that if you go to my webpage, it's www.alexloop.com, you can see on the initial page that uh, I have... Uh, uh, papers written with, with a pencil and rubber that I used to the rubber and to try and to measure the results because when I started with magnetic loops there was not a formulas available to calculate them and I spent a lot of hours making uh, all the tests to know how it performs and what is the band's coverage of the antennas that I was making. I have made something uh, around uh, 30 to 35 different models. And um, I, I it, uh, probably may be considered the father of the Alex, Alex the, the small, the portable magnetic loop antennas because uh, I haven't seen nothing uh, uh, has these on these times. Um, I, I have uh, 66 years old. I was graduated a lawyer, but I have never gone to the forums. And uh, my great passion since a little while is electronics and radio communications. Okay, uh, sorry, but I am speaking. If you turn me on, you, you know, you cannot turn me off. That's one of the things I like, though. You have a great story. I, I first met you, and I have. There's no reason you would remember this, but I first met you at the W4RT booth about four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, I purchased your the original Alex Loop for my KX3, and I had that antenna. I've loved it. I haven't been able to operate portably in a long time. Um, but for folks who aren't familiar with the Alex Loop, about how big is it when it's assembled? What diameter? The diameter is 96 centimeters in diameter, the Alex loop. And this small loop, uh, one-fifth of this, uh, of this size, of the measure. 
And what bands does the Alex Loop cover? Covers from 7 megahertz to 30. Uh, a little bit down, Sam says 6.8, 6.9 to 30, to 30 megahertz. Now, as a portable antenna, it's a great design because you've built it with parts that come apart and it collapses into a portable folding case, a little nylon bag that's easy to throw in a backpack or take with you. Yes, that is the concept. I was looking for the ideal system for my QRP operations. Uh, after I have uh, the very first uh, FT817 to appear in my country, Brazil, I was uh, trying to figure out what is the kind of antenna that could be so so uh, so teeny, so sly, so light, so smart as the FT817s. And I have started uh, the research on magnetic loops at this moment. So, now I didn't get a chance to see you last year, but I noticed you have a product that adds what I would call the killer feature because with your your regular Alex loop you have to turn a dial to tune a capacitor but I see now you have an antenna that is Bluetooth enabled maybe the first ever Bluetooth enabled antenna in existence yes I think so on this time is the the right time to give the credits to a friend of mine uh, called uh, Ricardo Caracci who is PU2 Charlie Lima Romeo this guy is a great uh, guy involved in programming and uh, Arduino and all this digital technology. And I have uh, made all the... I have designed with Ricardo. He, Ricardo have designed the electronics and the, the, the digital skill of the equipment. And I have the, designed the, the visual interface, the human interface... All the controls, the commands, the panel was designed by my me, and electronics take care of the, and uh, Ricardo Caracci take care of the electronics. And now I noticed you were showing me earlier that you have a smartphone app that I can control the antenna with. Is that on Android and iOS? By the moment, it's only uh, Android. But on the future, if if it became a commercial product. Uh, great chances to be iOS either. So this automatically, or the, the remote tuning antenna, are those available for sale? Not, not at the present, present moment, you know. Uh, because, uh, as you know, I thank God for this, but the Alex Lou becomes a, a, a universal sex. You, you can see the Alex Lou being used by ham, ham operators all, all over the world. So uh, I stopped my work, and I am been working with the Alex Lou, making at my home, one by one, by hand, with all my care, since the first screw the final test. This is a way that I find out to ensure the total quality of my antenna. That is incredible. That much care goes into it. And to know that mine was actually assembled by you. You don't run into that so much these days. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the first time that I have, uh, have uh, uh, c- uh, make this comment to the people who know that I am directly involved and I have it's incredible to confess this to you but it's it's very very interesting because all the antenna that I finished that I put on the air that I I test 
the, the standing wave on the lower end of the band and the upper end of the band gives me a very special emotion has, has been uh, like the first magnetic loop that I have, been, have made, you know. Outstanding. So again, the Alex Loop is a wonderful QRP up to 20 watt, portable, collapsible, very small magnetic loop antenna for portable operations. And Alex, if our listeners wanted to buy one, where would they go? Okay, here in U.S., they can go to HRO. Uh, HRO keep uh, stock in all the stores, so uh, the vendors uh, knows very well about this product because they became very familiar, uh, familiar with the antenna, considering the um, the quantity they they sold till this present moment. Outstanding. So again, that was Ham Radio Outlet in the United States. And what is your website if people want to follow along with the things that you're working on? Okay, it's www.alexloop.com. Outstanding. Now, since you're all the way in Dayton again, is there anything here that you've come to look at or come to buy? Of course. Uh, I found out Eric yesterday at the same hotel that I am at Douglas uh, Holiday Inn for Born, and when he could showed me a very teeny radio, KX2, and I had the opportunity to some years ago develop a small magnetic loop to be attached to the KX3 to make a, like a V8, like a HF handy that I could cover from four, from 20 megahertz to 10 megahertz on a built-in magnetic loop. Is is I hold with my hand the KX3 with the loop installed in the Christie is a, a unique system that you make like a handy a handy talkie that you carry in the hand so Eric showed me that now based on this idea he put a steamy microphone on the front panel so I, I decided to, to take one and if everything goes right on the next days we all of us can see a video on YouTube for the new handy for HF based on the KX2. So we were actually at uh, FDIM yesterday and we recorded the keynote and then George uh, from our podcast had an interview with Eric to talk about the KX2 and George also got one. If folks wanted to see your YouTube channel, what do they have to search for? Uh, they, they, they search for everything, you know, related for portable operation and uh, some creative ideas. If you go to my webpage, you will see, for example, the table antenna that is uh, a table that is a swimming pool antenna that have a, a magnetic loop mounted on an inner board. If you see this, you will see only look at a standard PVC table, but really is a magnetic loop antenna. And you can see many, many other ideas uh, for magnetic loops, loops that can be very useful for the great quantity of, 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 of all, all the world hams, you know. Well, Alex, I want to thank you very much for taking a lot of your time. I know people have been coming by the booth here. Thanks for speaking with us. We would love to have you on for an interview for the show sometime because one of the things that's most mysterious about magnetic loops is how they work, and I'm sure you've figured some of that out. Okay, oh, thank you very much for this opportunity and the extreme patience for all the audience on my 
poor English. So I will thank you very much for this, and I'm ready to answer emails for any friend, for any colleague, ham colleague all over the world, to give any explanation. I'm ready to help everybody. Thank you very much for this opportunity, and uh, I am ready to give all the attention anytime that you need. All right, Alex, thank you very much. I'm here with Gordon West, WB6NOA. We are here at Dayton 2016. This is going to be quite the ham fest, of course, the largest one in the United States. And uh, we've got our brand new extra class book. We're working with Carol Perry, WB2MGP, who's doing a youth forum as well as an instructor's forum. So we're really making a campaign to not only upgrade, but to attract new hams, especially ladies and kids, into our hobby. Oh, that's really great. Have you seen an uptick in more YLs and more kids getting in? Uh, yes, we are. In fact, many of her seminars are filled with YLs and kids, and this is great news. And uh, the technician class test is not a tough one. We've got the book for that, and we're getting more and more kids and YLs on the air. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Gordon, it's great to see you, and have a great Dayton. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks so much, and best success with this podcast. Gordo, WB6NOA, from Dayton, Ohio, 2016. So I'm here with Steve, WG0AT, and Steve is really famous for his YouTube video series for backpacking and hiking on the trail with radio along with his goats. So, Steve, I uh, just thought I'd stop by and see what's happening at Dayton and uh, chat with you for a few minutes about Operating Portable. Yeah, hi, George. It's really exciting, once again, being here at Dayton, and, uh, you know, you, you can just kind of feel the excitement. It all started for me with when I saw W7ZOI, Les Hayward, on a QST magazine. Uh, it was 1976, and he had this little tiny radio in his hand, and it had a, a, a key on it, and it was crystal control. It was for 40 meters. I just lost my mind and said, I want to do that. Because I, I was involved in search and rescue at the time, and I, I was learning my outdoor skill set and being, um, being able to feel comfortable outdoors and not um, feel like I was going to get lost or hurt or, or you know, um, gaining outdoor skills, so to speak. Anyway... Um, it also gave me the opportunity to combine a bunch of hobbies, photography, video, um, hiking with my goat buddies, and, and, and to be able to um, reach out and communicate with somebody miles from nowhere with this tiny little radio that you, you build yourself out of some schematic and you know parts and, and this, that, and the other, and... Um, it's just fun. I mean, I... That's great. So I, I do have a quick question. What came first, the radios or the goats? Uh, that's a longer story, but the, the short version of it is I was getting ready to retire, and I, I got my fly rod out of the closet that I had built and got some flies that, that I had made and went, went up to a local stream, and on the back cast, I hooked this guy's hat off his head, and I said, whoa, this place is too crowded for me. And so I started reading a book about high-altitude fly fishing. And halfway through the book, the guy says, his, he talks about his, his buddy. Well, it turns out his buddy was a goat. And I thought, wow, I could do that. My wife's got horses. I mean, surely I, I could have a goat. And so that, that's where it all began. And I, 
back then, you know, we had heavy lead-acid batteries and some of the equipment. You know, add all that stuff up, and before you know it, you got 25 pounds on your back. And, I mean, that's not a lot of weight compared to backpacking where you're talking about 50, 60 pounds. But to have a goat to share the weight, and, and the, the cool thing about goats is once you establish yourself as alpha, the herd instinct takes, takes over, and they'll follow you everywhere. I have no privacy. Uh, so do they really stick with you? They don't really wander off the trail and get lost? No. If you wander away from the herd, you're dead. Uh, so it's really survival of the fittest in that case. That, it, that's what it's all about. So it's kind of like uh, contesting. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. So I know that you were one of the early field testers for the KX2, and I got a chance to meet with Eric this morning and take a look at the KX2, sure. and it looks like a beautiful radio. And I was wondering if you could share any initial impressions of it. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's just plain fun. I mean, I, I love the KX3, but there, I'm, with the KX2, I've, I've now learned about some of the features that's in my KX3 that I didn't realize was there because they're, they're so easy to get to. Um, and just the radio is so small and cute. And you push a button, I mean, you throw a piece of wire in the tree and push the ATU button, and one-to-one SWR, you're on the air. The battery's in it. It's, uh, I mean, I've got a little little pouch that I put the KX2 in that fits on my, my belt. So now I can say I've got a ham radio station on my belt. So one question we get a lot from new hams is, and what they want to know is, why should they learn CW? And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, should a new ham learn CW? Well, it's, it's, it's another aspect of, of communicating, and it, CW does have a better signal-to-noise ratio than voice. So it means that you can, you can communicate further or when uh, conditions are really rough and, you know, nobody's... Nobody will hear you if you get on sideband. Chances are you can, you can get out on CW. But the other aspect of it is I learned, I learned Morse code by, in, my, in my Sunday school class by winking back and forth to my buddy using Morse code until we got caught by the, the teacher, and she made us stand up in front of the class and explain what we were doing. And next Sunday, all the kids in the class were winking at each other, and she was pulling her hair out. So that was really the first texting social network. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it, the the cool thing about it, I think, is um, the fact that you can you know this 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 other language that you can use. And I don't know the the whole. I, I'm reading a lot of, right now about World War II and and the resistance. And um, again, it, it the the. the little Paracept spy radios that they had. Um, you know, I, I almost can kind of, when I'm climbing up a mountain, th- thinking about, yeah, I've got this little tiny radio, and I'm going to send out signals to, to my comrades and make contact and, and uh, hopefully, you know, have fun doing it. But, and, and, and be able to share that with other people via video and tell a story. And, and, and if I've inspired somebody or made somebody laugh, life is good. 
Well, I can tell you from watching the videos myself and a lot of other guys I know who've watched them, they love the videos. The videos are very well produced. Uh, people love the goats. I, I, I know they're, they're practical, but, uh, but they really add a lot. And uh, when you do the video and you do the cutaways to the other station and show pictures or QSL cards of the other station, it really brings out the whole story. So they're really well produced. Well, thanks. It's the last part of my career with Hewlett-Packard. Um, I was involved in making uh, videos, training videos, and my, my, I, I went to my boss and I said, you know, we could save a lot of money if we just bought this equipment and brought it in-house. And he said, oh, no, we, we, we need you to oversee this whole thing and pull it together. And besides that, you'd be sitting in a dark closet somewhere having too much fun, and we'd never see you again. So the day I retired, I said, I'm going to make videos, and I'm going to put, put them on YouTube. I and I didn't know what, what to do when I was out on a windy day. Uh, wind blew my antenna down, and, you know, basically I got skunked as far as um, making any contacts. And I pulled this little camera out, the shoot video, and I, I shot the goats, and I shot um, the wind and, and what they were up to, and I stuck it on YouTube and put a link on QRPL. Everybody came back and said, wow, that was cool. And I thought, wow, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Well, that's really great because that inspires the rest of us because we see what you do and how you do it, and then it just looks like something maybe we should try ourselves. Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, like I said, it, it combines a lot of hobbies. Um, I like to hike. I like to be outdoors. I like to play radio, um, and not necessarily in that order, but, um, you know, if you, can, if you can figure out a story, and the story could be anything from a ladybug landing on your telegraph key, or um, on the way there you saw a flock of geese or whatever. The, the, I never go out with a, a story in mind. The story is just the adventure and the experience, and then trying to you know, bring that to life with ham radio and the people I'm talking to. It, it's... It's fun to see both sides of the conversation, if you will. Oh, it's really great. And I know how much work and effort goes into making those videos. And so for all of your viewers, I really want to thank you so much for doing it. And please keep doing it. Thank you, George. It was great talking to you. Have a great date. And thanks a lot. Standing here in the East Hall at the DV Mega Booth, which I was really excited when I saw you guys were going to be here. I've been familiar with your products for a couple of years. Uh, a friend of mine has your Raspberry Pi radio board, loves it, affordable, very well made, fits directly on a Pi. And I'm standing here with Gust van Doren? Yes, Gust van Doren. So, I, okay, I butchered it a little bit. P-E-1-P-L-M. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah. Is this your first trip to Dayton? No, it's the third. Uh, last uh, two years I uh, was invited at the boot of Northwest Digital Radio, guys. And this is the first year I have my own boot. Outstanding. So tell us, what did you bring to Dayton? I brought actually this year the whole range of uh, DV Mega products, from GMSK modem for D-Star to the radio hotspots for the Raspberry and the uh, BlueSpot uh, application. And the new product, uh, the multimode doll, which is not ready yet, but will be finished very soon. So talk to us a little bit more about that. What is that? You mean the DV, the multimode doll? The multimode doll is a Arduino Mega-based uh, uh, unit 
That means you can place existing DV Mega modules, the MB3000, and the Arduino dual band radio on. And with those two modules, you can go one for, via the MB3000 directly to the net, so without having a radio. And you can try DMR and D-star motors. Or you can use it as a hybrid hotspot, so that means that you can still use your radio uh, uh, to, to go to the net. But ultimately, it allows me to have one piece of hardware for all these protocols. Yes, that's right. And will it work with a Raspberry Pi? You don't, yes, it works with the Raspberry Pi, but you, um, um, you can still use the MMDVM host software on the Raspberry Pi, only uh, like the Raspberry Ra- DV Mega Raspberry Radio, which does fit directly onto the Raspberry Pi. This unit you have to connect via the USB port then, but it's still usable with the Raspberry Pi. Outstanding. And does it work with some of the more legacy software like Jonathan software? It's actually uh, 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 preferred to use with uh, Jonathan software. The, the, current, the current, let's say the older uh, D-Star repeater software and the newer MMDVM host uh, software, yes. So when you look at your customers, what do you find that most of them are doing with your hardware? Uh, the most are using it as a private hotspot in combination with the Raspberry Pi. Are you having anything that would be able to connect to repeaters? Um, yes, yes. Then you need uh, the D-Star converter, which is a combination of the MV3000 and the GMSK hotspot. And then you can make a, a D-Star radio with your conventional 9K6 analog radio. Outstanding. Is there anything else new coming down the pike? Uh, what I told you, the multimode uh, doll, that's where I'm working on now. It's, it's uh, with a, uh, with a uh, 2.4 till 7 inch uh, Nextion touch LCD screen. Okay, and if I wanted to get, or listeners wanted to get more information about your products, where would they go? Then they have to go uh, to Google and only <laughs> type P1PLM of DV Mega, and then they are come there. But it is uh, www dot dvmenga dot aurea and that's how I spell for you it's a-u-r-i-a dot n-l and so that's the Netherlands the Netherlands yes do you have a U.S. distributor yes it's a Gigaparts that's a U.S. distributor okay outstanding so since you're at Dayton what did you come to look at I don't know yet. Uh, first, uh, DV Mega users and, and let's say uh, people I met last three years, like Jim Bryan from Northwest Digital Radio, Dave. And Outstanding. Well, thank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming to Dayton. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm here with John N1GNV from Quicksilver Radio, and he has some really interesting portable radio products to show this year at Dayton. That's right, George. This is our new Hamo can. It's a complete VHF UHF station in a ammo can, a metal ammo can. Uh, it comes with a battery. It comes with a dual band radio, 25 watts. Uh, comes with Anderson power poles, USB charger. Uh, the deluxe model has a lighter plug, standard lighter plug, uh, and a voltmeter and a battery, all in one case. So this looks like it would be a great thing for emergency communications, for sure, or even just take the radio to the park. Those are the two markets that we really were thinking of. Uh, the, the Aries and MCOM guys are loving them. We can't keep up with 
the orders on them. We're, we can't build them fast enough. So if someone wanted to build their own, I, I've seen some of these connectors and things before. So if they supply their own can or they supply their own battery, do you have the parts and pieces for people to build their own? Yes. Um, we don't have them on the website quite yet. We just have been swamped. But uh, we will have some of the specialized brackets that we have made up for them. Uh, we'll have the uh, the batteries and the all, all the, the modules, the, the voltmeters and the power pole modules and stuff. That's all going to be on the website very soon. That website is www.qsradio.com. And looking at this, it looks like a typical green military ammo can that has a really nice dual-band mobile radio, very compact, Anderson PowerPole outlets, USB, etc. Looks like a great idea. I've seen a lot of people build things like this, and it's fun to see you guys coming out with a product that has all that all ready to go. Yeah, I've seen many, many different designs and actually took ideas from this one, took ideas from that one, and then synthesized a lot and put some of our own ideas in. And you know, not everyone has the skill or the patience or the time or desire to build their own, uh, and that's who we're making them for. I think that's a great idea. I think a lot of us have built up one of these already, going through all the effort to find all the bits and parts and do it. By the time you're done, a lot of times you wish you could have just gone out and bought one. Well, now you can. That's great. Thanks a lot, John. So I'm in the Tentec booth with Mike N8WFF, and I'm very excited to see Tentec at Dayton. And a lot's been going on with Tentec, and Mike is kind enough to spend a few minutes with us to tell us about Tentec and what's happening there. So Mike, tell us what's going on. Well, George, first of all, let me thank you for stopping by the booth and, and thank all of your listeners for your interest in Tentec. Uh, Tentec, as you know, has been around for a lot of years and a lot of great radios. And uh, in, in the past few years, it's, uh, it's no secret that there have been some, uh, shall we say, disruptions to the business in uh, uh, different, different things. And, uh, you know, there, there have been some difficulties in the business. And uh, uh, last fall, I uh, began a dialogue with the owners uh, saying if there was anything that I could do to help them out, to help Tentec out, to recover things. And uh, we entered in a dialogue, and the, the long and the short of it is, uh, effective January 1st, I took over responsibility, ownership, and operations of Tentec. And uh, Tentec is now operating as a 100% owned subsidiary of Dishtronics Inc. That's my company, which I started in 1998 to basically uh, promote solid-state radio amplifiers. We know Tentec with many decades of history and a lot of great radios, and there's a big legacy there. So did that legacy of radio design and intellectual property come over to your Tentec business now? Oh, absolutely. You may not know this, but I actually approached Tentec with an investor's consortium way back in 2006. I was interested in acquiring Tentec. Uh, as many people don't know, Tentec does quite a commercial and uh, government business with, uh, with surveillance receivers and other devices. And this was a, a very much uh, thing, area of the business that allowed Tentec to operate all of these years and in fact subsidize the amateur business. I, th I think without that, a lot of the great DSP work and things that you see in like the Orion 2 and uh, the Eagle would never even exist if it had not been able to been developed for the RX 340 series and 331 series of surveillance receivers. 
So we acquired all of that IP. I, w I was in, in fact, Distronics has had on a on the books. Uh, many people won't know this. I actually started Distronics. I was going to do transceivers. Never intended to do solid state power amplifiers. Intended to do transceivers. And we had wonderful analog RF designs, but the stumbling block is the DSP. The, the manpower and the investment is to, to duplicate Tentex DSP, if you knew what you were doing, would cost a quarter million dollars and take two or three man years, uh, even to get close to that. So the, the hidden jewel of Tentex that we saw was the DSP. And so we have all of that programming, all of that, uh, all of that core IP, all, all of the everything that Tentech has done lock, stock, and barrel for the last nearly 50 years is safe and in our care. So when you look forward, taking Tentech into the next generation under your guidance for this company, so where do you see Tentech focusing? Because I've seen in the past top quality HF, home style radios, portable, uh, mobile kind of form factors, QRP um, radios, lots of different kinds of gear. So where do you see the future for Tentech? Oh, that's a tough question. I, I, I tend to focus more on the short-term, day-to-day things of Tentech, of just of getting everything stabilizing and make sure that the company runs into the future rather than worry about where we are in 10 or 15 years. And for today, the focus is to get our commercial and government things back. We, we are right now in Sevierville, full speed ahead on our commercial uh, surveillance receivers, which is the RX-340 and the 331s. And the money from these contracts are enable us to stabilize Tentech and then allow us to come back into the, to the amateur portion of things. Now, the bad side of that is, is that means we can't allocate a lot of resources into the amateur thing right now. But the one thing that I did do and that I did learn from acquiring Tentech that I did not know from Distronics is that service is a very important aspect of a radio company. When I sell a Prometheus at $10,000, they don't come back. They, they operate, and I mean very few of them. We've done you know a handful of repairs over the years. When you start looking at a transceiver that's exposed to lightning, uh, you know just a much more uh, robust environment where it's taken, you know, it weighs 10 pounds and it's dropped from a car or something, there's all kinds of service issues that need to be done. And people really don't want to hear, I can't fix your radio. And at Tentech, we have been supporting every radio we ever made. We've kind of curtailed that policy, and now if we can get the parts, we'll still repair your radio. If we can get the parts. If we can't, there's nothing we can do. Uh, but but what I really learned of all this is that we really need to be a more service-centric organization. And towards that, my first act was to, uh, upon taking ownership of Tentech on the 1st of January, was to close down service for a month, go through, reorganize everything, streamline everything, and really find out what we needed to do and implement procedures to get radios serviced. And I'm really proud to report today that people that had their radios sitting for six months before or six weeks before, we have turned radios around as fast as four hours. A man came down to Sevierville on vacation, dropped his radio off in the morning, and we had it ready for him after lunch. Now, that's not every occasion, but we are running one to two weeks turnaround time. And the techs down at Tentech, they are the best. These guys are just really putting their heart and soul into it and giving it all they got. And, and we've really 
got that running smoothly. I want to ask a favor from those of you listening. We don't publish the phone number for Tentech. When I was down there, I found the biggest problem was the techs were answering the phone and they couldn't do their work. Please, we put on the website, please, please, please email service at tentech.com and give us a description of your problem. They're monitoring the emails each morning. They go through all the emails and answer them for the next day. They do that three days a week. You may not get an answer on Thursday and Friday. And for goodness sakes, please don't call me at Dishtronics because I'm in Ohio. They're in Tennessee. I have no idea if we have a dial string for a for a, for a century, century 21 or even what a dial string for a Century 21 is. I can't help you. It's folks, service at tentech.com, your first line of contact. And if you just do that, everything's working great. We, we assign an RMA number. The radio comes in. We know what's wrong with it. We punch it up with the computer. It travels all the way down the tech benches, goes to the right expert, and, you know, voila, a week later, your radio, your radio comes back to you FedEx. It's working if you just follow the process, please. Okay, thank you. No, that's really great. And it's, an, it's a very important point because when I talk to friends who've bought Tentec transceivers in the past, they tell me two things. One is the receiver performance was really, really good. And they also always talk about the service quality. So Tentec has always had a reputation for really good service. And I, I think keeping up with that is going to be really important. Uh, I think it's the most important reason that I've learned for buying a Tentec. And if you read any of these forums and things, when I first started making changes, I took quite a beating in the forums. I, 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 I raised the service rate a whopping $10 an hour for the first hour and, uh, and said, you know, it's a one-hour minimum. But, you know, these, these guys, we, we got to stay in business. And uh, e- even then, we're, we're losing money on, on a service at that rate. But, uh, you know, the, it's, it's, it's not enough just to manufacture the radio. you got to stand behind the radio. And that's, that's why you want to do business with us is there are other people that, you know, if you, you may buy a radio and, and try to send it back and get parts in five years. Nobody's going to fix a 20-year-old radio. I, none of my competitors or the ones that have been around for 20 years uh, can, will fix a 20-year-old product. We're fixing stuff made back in 1977, for goodness sake. So when I look at the radios I see here at the show, I do see a couple of Tentec amateur radios. Are these available for sale now? Do you have inventory of models now? And which ones would those be? Well, the big thing we're changing right now is we're doing a different packaging of the Omni 7. We call it the Omni 7 Plus, and it's being put in a ruggedized all-metal package for reasons that I don't really want to go into, Uh, can't go into, but... Those will, those will be available probably uh, within the next month. We have, we have a dozen or so radios completed waiting for a few of the parts in Sevierville, and those, those can go out right away. And the good news is there's been no price increase on the Omni from where it was, so it's, uh, it's the same price it was before, and you get a much more rugged package in the deal. So, Mike, I know that Tentec had a radio that had an Arduino that you can program externally. And I'd be interested to know if you see that as a product that you're going to continue forward with. Right. That was the, I believe it was called the Rebel and also the Patriot. The Rebel is a CW-only version, and the Patriot came later and includes CW and SSB. They have an Arduino inside. 
Now what happened was the Arduino changed and has gone through a generation and we did not have an Arduino that we could put on the present board. But Bill Kerb uh, designed changes to the board that it takes the present Arduino and we're going to bring that right back. It's just a matter of our sheet metal. And it's not a very expensive item, but the great part about this item is is it introduces people to Tentech. It gets, it gets the experimenter people in, the open source community, and it brings it in and it, and it helps adopt people into the Tentech community. And, and we kind of subsidize this as a not a very expensive product, hoping that as the young people come in and, and get involved with this product, that when they come to get their first grown-up box radio, you know, full, full source radio, that they'll say, hey, we're coming back to Tentech. So in addition to the transceiver business from Tentech, could you tell me a little bit about your amplifier business also? Oh boy. Well, we, we have been, uh, Distronics has been manufacturing the Prometheus, which is uh, a legal limit plus solid state amplifier. We've been in production continuously since 2007. It was the first solid state, brick on the key, no time limit, uh, SO2R contest capable amplifier. And uh, to my knowledge, it still is the only one capable of SO2R contesting. So instead of buying two tube amplifiers and for, for your run radio and your, and your multiplier, we, uh, we feed, feed both radios through the amplifier and, uh, and, and use, use that as an integral part of the contesting system. So that, that was the thing that kind of spawned me into the amateur radio business. Uh, last year, I acquired uh, Mtron from Rudy Bresnik in Australia, and uh, we did a redesign of the DX2 and DX3 uh, amplifiers that are a vacuum tube amplifier, and starting in August, those will be produced here in the United States and shipping from the United States. And, uh, of course, the big news for the show is you may notice we're in an alpha booth, standing in a booth with a lot of alpha paraphernalia around us, um, Myself and two other investors have acquired Alpha from RKR. So our new our new company name for Alpha is Alpha RF Systems LLC, and we're working on a new website which should be up in the next week or so. So uh, the the good news is is that uh, now Alpha joins the Distronics family, well half of the Distronics family and Mtron. So I think this puts us at a really good position to be your premier amplifier supplier. Uh, you know, for, for the top-end amplifiers. And the great news is, now they're all made right here in North America. Well, that is really exciting, and, and I really wish you the very best. It's very exciting to see the rebirth of Tentech uh, with someone who's really dedicated to the business, to dedicated to the brand, and bringing the amplifiers and radios together is a very exciting future. So I really wish you guys the very best. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be heard, and uh, I, I appreciate everyone listening and all your interest and support of Tentech, and uh, it's, it's really great to see at the show here. I'd like to thank the people that stopped by the booth in particular. We've had a really positive response all the way around, and uh, you know, it's, it's so easy to be negative sometimes and, and, and to criticize, and it means so much just to come and say, I'm glad you guys are, are doing what you're doing, and we, we appreciate it. The folks in Sevierville appreciate it. The folks in Colorado appreciate it because basically we work for you. We're not subsidized by the government or by a big corporation. I mean, you're, you're, you're where the buck stops. We want to build the products that you want to buy. And we're, we're here to take care of you. We, we have been here before my watch.
for 40 to 50 years taking care of you. And I hope my watch runs another 20 years. And if I can do half as good a job as my predecessors, I think we'll all be happy. I think you guys are going to do great. So uh, very excited for you and hope everything goes really well. Have a great Dayton. Thank you. You too. I'm standing here once again at the Ham Source booth. We were here last year checking out some of their power accessories and their uh, power pole distribution blocks. And I stopped because I saw a giant banner for BioNO Power, which is a new battery manufacturer that I became aware of this year. And a lot of hams are excited about their products. I'm standing here with Kevin Zanjani. That's correct, Jeremy. It's a great opportunity to be here at the Dayton Hamvention with HamSource, John Kalatai with HamSource. Uh, my name is Kevin uh, with BioNO Power. We're here uh, bringing out all of the products, uh, showing all the new types of uh, lithium iron phosphate batteries for ham radio applications. Um, all of the batteries include uh, power pole connectors that connect directly to the radios, uh, super compact, lightweight, 2,000 plus charge cycles. Um, very flat and stable uh, voltage response on there compared to lead-acid batteries. Um, they don't uh, gas up. They're much lighter compared to other batteries as well. Um, we're also featuring various types of uh, power packs, exciting power packs that include um, built-in battery with a solar controller and an inverter, all-in-one unit that you can uh, plug in a solar panel into it as well. So. There are a lot of uh, really cool and exciting offerings here at the Hamvention. Uh, that's again here at Hamsource, uh, Biono Power here with Hamsource, uh, offering the products, and we're very excited to be here. All right, so let's start with your batteries, your power modules. What I'd seen previously is you have both the traditional like shrink wrapped right or shrink wrapped packs, as well as packs that fit into like the traditional U groups from lead acid batteries. And I notice on your banner you also say you have LiPo batteries for RC and then LifePo for applications that are more, you know, for a ham radio. For your LifePo packs, are what's that, what group size batteries are you guys making? What capacities? So for the LifePo lithium iron phosphate batteries, uh, we have all of the traditional replacements to the lead acid, lead acid ones. So you'll find uh, like a 12 amp hour uh, in lithium iron phosphate will replace a standard one that you'll find. Uh, in an SLA configuration that's uh, 12 or 15 amp hours. We also offer uh, 8 amp hour and 9 amp hour lithium iron phosphate batteries that will replace the traditional uh, 7, 8, and 9 SLA batteries as well. So um, there's a lot of uh, good replacements for that application. Um, All of the batteries include the protection circuit module in there, and then you can hook everything up and be on your way. So now talking about that module, a lot of batteries will have the over-voltage, over-current, under-voltage protection. Do you guys have under-voltage protection so I can't kill the battery by discharging it too far? Yeah, that's correct. All of the batteries include the protection circuit module in there that prevents against the over-discharge protection. So it has under-voltage protection. Um, It will essentially, the battery will shut down once it reaches its cutoff voltage. Um, So it protects the batteries. Um, and uh, you can then bring them back up without any issues. So it's a pretty cool feature inside of lithium iron phosphate batteries compared to SLA batteries, which, um, as you know, if you over-discharge it, that can be, all, that can be a problem. So there's a significant advantages to using uh, uh, lithium iron phosphate batteries um, for, for ham radio applications. Among other applications for electronics, you can also use it uh, for other things as well. So if I look at these packs, a lot of competing packs that are sold in these similar SLA form factors 
have the circuitry in it to be able to connect to a traditional three-stage SLA charger and do the voltage and current transformation as appropriate for lithium chemistry, can I take your battery and connect it to a battery tender, or do I need a charger made specifically for lithium chemistry? So as long as the charger is putting out a voltage between 14 to 15 volts, it will take the charge without any problems. Um, we do bundle the batteries uh, with the charger just in case customers they ask. So um, the bundles tend to be very popular, but as I mentioned, yeah, if you're within that range, you're okay. All right. I also noticed, as you mentioned, there are some solar panels sitting here and some power packs. Tell us about those. So the solar panels here, we have foldable solar panels here. They're 28-watt solar panels. Um, They are super compact, lightweight. You can put them into a backpack, uh, take them on the go. Uh, They have both USB as well as uh, DC barrel output. Um, So you can plug that directly into, uh, you'll actually use what's called a solar charge controller uh, that'll plug the panel into that and then that goes into the battery itself. Um, As I mentioned, you can also use the USB output for powering your phones as well as uh, other devices as well. All right, how many amp hours in those packs? So, um, the you mean the foldable panels? The foldable panels are 28 watt panels, um, but we have a separate power pack unit that is a includes a uh, 12-volt, 10-amp-hour battery, which is equivalent to 120 watt-hours, which I'm holding here in front of Jeremy, um, and it has all of the uh, ability to be charged using uh, AC as well as solar and uh, USB output on the front as well as DC output and then the inverter on the back. And the charge controller that's in there, is it a traditional pulse width modulation or is it maximum power point tracking? So it's going to be actually, it's, it's a separate type of uh, charge controller that's geared for lithium iron phosphate batteries that does the constant current and then switches the constant voltage charging. So we've tailored that charge controller specifically for lithium iron phosphate batteries. Okay, and anything else new this year? Uh, we're offering expanded product lines for the power pack offerings. Um, so this includes the uh, battery as, along with the um, inverter as well as the uh, solar charge controller all in one unit. It's a very exciting offering. And uh, as I mentioned, we're very excited to be here with HamSource um, at HamNation with John. Um, and so it's a really exciting event. And did you guys, are, I'm assuming, are your products RF quiet? Yeah, there's no RF hash coming out of it. It's all RF quiet for ham applications. Awesome, because that's usually a problem with a lot of other charge controller manufacturers. They don't take that into account because, shocking, hams aren't their number one customer. If our listeners wanted to know more about your products, where would they go? So you're going to go and visit uh, hamsource.com. We're here uh, with John. And... uh, going to go to that website and if there's any other further information um, you can reach john uh, through ham source and then it'll direct us uh, to buy on a power as well so all right thank you very much appreciate your time all right appreciate it and uh 73s actually one last question is there anything at dayton you came to look at or you can't live without i have uh this would be my first hamvention uh at dayton so i'm going to be checking out all the exciting new products as well from all the different Uh, other manufacturers, uh, the radio manufacturers, and um, it'll be a really cool event. So I'm looking forward to checking stuff out. All right, Kevin, thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it.